Most of you by now are aware this week as a community, we experienced a, uh, a very uh, sudden and grievous loss of our dear friend and brother, Gil Gayton, who was taken to be with the Lord very early on Monday morning. Gil and his wife Peggy have been a member of our community for the last 17 years along with their family. For the last six years, Gil has served as our ministry coordinator in the area of community life, doing an exceptional job in blessing all of us with his life, his skills, his character, his gifts, his talents, his abilities, his heart, his spirit, his love, and uh, he's going to be greatly, greatly missed. I was actually not scheduled to um, speak today. And then on Monday night into Tuesday morning, I woke up in the middle of the night with just a very clear sense of a word to share with us this morning um, in this particular time of our life together as a congregation and specifically as it connects in with our um, theme for this year, the year of restoration. And so we're going to step out for a moment this morning from our study of the Gospel of Mark, which will continue then next week. This morning I want to bring to you a message entitled The Waiting Room. And that was the phrase that the Lord woke me up with in the middle of the night. Monday night to Tuesday morning was this phrase, the waiting room, and he brought me back to a very familiar scripture in Isaiah chapter 40 and one that I've shared on before, but I sense um, a very specific, clear call from the Lord to speak into our life together as a congregation and I believe into your particular life this morning as it relates to the waiting room. How many of you are familiar with waiting? Anybody here familiar with waiting? As Americans, we will spend about six months of our lives waiting at stoplights. We're going to wait about two years for people to answer the phone or return our unanswered phone calls. We will wait in lines for somewhere around five years of our lives waiting But all of those waitings are minor in comparison to the most significant waiting that most of us experience, and that is waiting for God. I think everyone in this room can relate to having heard a promise from God 
And then it seems as if that promise is delayed, sometimes indefinitely. It hasn't happened yet. All of us have God-given hopes and dreams that have never come to pass. Which brings me to the waiting room. God has a waiting room. I want you to come with me in your imagination for a moment into that waiting room. You're not going to find, you know, that particular phrase in the Bible, but it's shot through all of the scriptures. Picture it with me for a moment. That great celestial waiting room. Can you see it in your mind's eye? A large room stretching beyond where your eyes can see. All the polished floor, the white marble, the, the, the lamps on the tables with their white shades covering in muted light. And as you look around the waiting room, you're going to start to see some people who might look rather familiar to you and to me. Because in God's waiting room, you might see Noah flipping through a several-year-old boating magazine, waiting for something called rain. He's never seen it before, but God said it was going to come, so he waits. There's Job, so weak and doubled over with pain and sorrow, he can hardly stay in his chair, waiting for healing, waiting for an encouraging word, waiting for someone to help make sense of a life that has been shattered into 10,000 pieces. There's Ruth, waiting, waiting for a husband, waiting for a kinsman-redeemer. We look over a little bit further and we find Abraham waiting and waiting and waiting for the promise of God, the heir that would come, that would birth the nation of Israel for 24 long years, waiting... There's Moses. Several bottles of water around him because he's spent 40 years in the backside of a desert. Parched. Not only physically, but parched in his spirit. Waiting. For God. Come for his people to be delivered. There's Joseph in the prime of life. Great specimen of a man who'd been given specific and very concrete and clear dream from God of what would be, and yet everything seemed to go awry 
from the moment he received the promise until finally deliverance came. But in the meantime, there was a very long time of waiting. And it tells us, in fact, his waiting was so celebrated that he has a whole psalm piece of psalm that's given to him from Psalm chapter 105. And it tells us there that the word of the Lord tested him. Because the waiting room is definitely a place of testing, is it not? There's Jeremiah. Gaunt-faced, thin, Quietly weeping, wiping his tears off the cuff of his ragged robe, waiting for some kind of hope that his empty, burned-out city will ever again hear the sounds of laughter and the songs of worship to the one true And then there's David. David who puts into words so powerfully, poetically, prophetically speaks to our human condition in ways that connect and resonate down to the very core of our soul. In fact, His words are there in that waiting room right underneath a very large clock that ticks, 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 ticks with the universal cry of how long Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I don't know how many of you have ever spoken those words, but I think there is a universal cry in every human heart that says, God, how long? How long? How long? How long? How long? Such was the cry, not only of these individuals, but there's a great chorus that rises up. A great chorus that rises up from the people of God collectively. The people of Israel in Isaiah chapter 40, in verse 27, say these words, to the Lord, and God is sort of reflecting them back to them and says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? And here's the words that he has heard come up before him. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause is disregarded by 
my God. If you read the book of Isaiah, you will discover that the book of Isaiah is really split into two significant parts. There's chapters 1 through 39 where the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel regarding their upcoming and impending captivity. The hands of the Babylonians which is going to take them and cause them to be captive for 70 long, long, long years. For 70 years, the people of Israel are going to be held in a place of captivity under the thumb of the oppressor. And then that 70 years and the generation of those that are raised up within that, and some of you have here in this room have experienced an oppression that has taken for a very considerable long period of time. And out of that oppression rises up this cry, Oh God, my way is hidden from You. My cause is disregarded by my God. But the chapter changes in Isaiah chapter 40. And from chapters 40 to chapters 66, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the people of God a word of hope and strength and courage that is going to help them and speak to them and remind them of the goodness of God that is beyond the captivity that they currently find themselves in the midst of. That the captivity is not the end of the story. That the brokenness and the shatteredness is not the end of the story. That the woundedness and pain is not the end of the story. That the waywardness and rebellion is not the end of the story. And I would speak to you, the people of God, sitting in this room this day, That the brokenness and shatteredness and woundedness and pain and waywardness and rebellion, whatever it is that you and those you love are experiencing in your lives is not the end of the story. That God has a heart to do something beyond that when we open our hearts to Him in humility. In obedience. In expectation. Isaiah 40 begins then with these words. And hear the word of the Lord this morning. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, please turn to page 511, page 511 in the Pew Bible located right in front of you. Please follow along with me 
in Isaiah chapter 40 and hear the word of the Lord this morning. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out! And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers. The flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the, our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah... Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand or with the breath of His hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed Him as His counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten Him? Who taught Him the right way? Who was it that taught Him knowledge or showed Him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted. No sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground than He blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. 
Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of His great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. So here is the answer of the Lord to the universal cry. He answers with this universal truth in verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And His understanding no one can fathom. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Well, this morning you are going to once again be reminded so that you know and you have heard. He is everlasting. It's so hard for us to get our minds around the everlastingness of God. C.S. Lewis used this illustration to try to describe it. Imagine that you had a piece of paper that spread infinitely in both directions. There was no end to it. Imagine that piece of paper stretching all across from age to age, from end to end, for eternity, and you took, and on that piece of paper that extends forever, you put a line like that. That's time. That's time. In the everlastingness of God. No beginning, no end. All time in His hands. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides on the heavens to help you on the clouds of His majesty. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. In the... Marvelous words of Corey Tenboom, there is no hole so deep that the arms and hands of God do not go deeper still. To Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy, 
to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. Before, now, and forever. That's everlasting. That's everlasting. He was there before you and your circumstances. He's there with you right now in your circumstance. He will be there after your circumstances are all done. He is the everlasting God. Not only that, but He is the Creator. All things that we see, all things around us, everything has been created by Him. This week, being alongside of the Gaten family in this time of grief, and specifically and particularly being with them around Gil's deathbed, it's hard for me to describe to you the sense of awe and wonder that I have and had and continue to have in the midst of that incredible mystery. And part of the awe and wonder was around the incredible complexity of the creation of us as human beings. It's, it's incredible. It's amazing. I don't think we have any idea as, as complex and incredible and wonderful as the heavens and the universe is. So incredible and complex and wondrous and amazing are these human bodies. There are a thousand miles of blood vessels in your body. 1,000 miles of blood vessels. There are 1,500,000 sweat glands on the surface of your body. Some of us got even more than that. Your lungs are composed of 700 million cells. Your heart, if all of the beats from a single day were concentrated into one throb of power, if your heartbeat from one day was concentrated together into one throb of power, you, it would be sufficient to throw one ton of iron 120 feet in the air. Your heart has beaten billions of times since your birth. Your nervous system is controlled by a brain that has three trillion nerve cells. Nine billion, two hundred million of them are in the cortex or the covering of the brain alone. 
In your veins there are three million white corpuscles and 180 trillion red ones. No wonder the Scripture says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are amazing. Your very life is amazing and incredible. You are a unique and wondrous creation of God. Lift your eyes, look to the heavens who created all of these. He who brings out the starry host, one by one, calls them each by name because of His great power and strength. Not one of them is missing. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by Him, for Him. He's before all things and in Him all things Hold together. He's mighty. His strength knows no end. As we read just a moment ago, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains and the scales and the hills in a balance. Not you, I can guarantee it. Not me. But our King of kings, our Lord of lords. And I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and His incomparably great power For us who believe, that power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him in His right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. He has power over sin, power over death, power over everything. He is mighty. He is all-knowing. There is nothing that escapes His eye. There is nothing that perplexes Him. He never scratches His head and says, Huh. Like I do about 2,700 times a day. Hmm. Who has understood the mind of the Lord? Who has instructed Him as Counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him the knowledge or path? And, or showed him the path of understanding? And the answer is obvious. No one! No one! Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. There is no comparison, people, to the knowledge and understanding and wisdom of our God. 
The universal cry, how long, O Lord? The universal truths that He is everlasting. He is Creator. He is mighty. He is all-knowing. All of that leads up to a universal hope this morning for you and for me. And that hope is in the rest of our passage here in Isaiah 40. As Isaiah closes out this particular chapter, he says these words, He, speaking of God, this One, the One who we just described, it is He who gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. For even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, those who wait upon, those who are there before the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the promise of hope, of restoration for you and for me. But that restoration comes in different packages. Some of you have heard me share on this before, but I feel just compelled in my spirit to share it with you again this morning. The ways in which the grace of God gets expressed into our lives, I believe is embedded in that final phrase there. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. There are three types of ways in which this hope and grace and mercy and goodness of God gets expressed into our lives in the midst of our cry to Him. The first is through the restoration that comes through rescue when we soar with wings like eagles. And this is the way that we all long for and it is the way and it is a way in which God comes and intervenes in our lives and in our circumstances. As He did with the leper, as described for us in the Gospel of Mark, a man with leprosy came to Him, begged Him on His knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean, filled with compassion. Jesus reached out His hand and touched the man. I'm willing, He said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left Him and He was cured. And there is the hope in us that reaches out to the Lord. And this is always the proper posture. Like a child to his mother, a young one who comes and says, Help me! Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. And we cry out for rescue from Him that He will lift us up out of our circumstance. This is not the only way in which His restoration and grace comes to us. His restoration also comes to us through partnership when we run with Him. We run and not grow weary. You know the story in Luke chapter 9 of the loaves and the fishes when the, when the twelve came to Jesus and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. And He replied, you give them something to eat. And they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. 
unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd because there was 5,000 men there as well as women and children, 15,000 or more people. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so. And everyone sat down and taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Here is the grace of partnership. I don't believe that Jesus did some kind of multiplying loaves and fish trick up here. You know, it wasn't a trick anyway, but I mean, he wasn't sitting there and there was a great mound and they kept coming back and with their baskets to get more. No, I believe that he blessed that loaves and fishes as he broke them and he placed them into the hands of the disciples. It was as they went that the loaves and and the fishes were multiplied in the hands of the disciples and it was through their hands and in partnership with God and in faith. It was partnership. It was running with Him together collaboratively that the miracle happened and was done. And there were 12 loaves, 12 basketfuls, and I know there was spiritual significance to that, but there was also practical significance because they had been hungry, they had need, and they were satisfied and they went home with a doggy bag. Because God does above and beyond. And He will do with us that which we cannot do alone. That is the grace of partnership. It's when we run with Him. There is the restoration that comes through rescue. There is the restoration that comes through partnership. And there's the restoration that comes through patient endurance. Because He does not always lift us out of our circumstances. And sometimes even our circumstances are not changed through our collaboration and partnership with Him. As Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, who has given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the grace that comes when He is with us in circumstances that cannot be altered. And we walk and we don't faint. And there's just enough grace to help us to walk into the next day and the next. And even in that, there is restoration. Even in that place, when our situation and circumstances are not altered in the way that we would expect or hope or long for, yet in the midst of it, He does bring forth beauty. 
out of the ashes. And the oil of joy for mourning and a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. That we might be oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to give renown to His name. In the midst of unalterable circumstance, the grace of patient endurance. Let me be very clear. I believe it is always, always, always appropriate to ask the Lord to come and Rescue. To lift us out of our circumstances, but to know and to recognize that sometimes He will say to us, I will do it with you. And sometimes He will say, though this will not be altered, I will be with you. And in each, there is restoration. In each, there is grace. In each, there is the expression of the goodness of God. Which brings us back to the waiting room. Waiting is relinquishing our lives to God in hopeful expectation and with confident hope in His goodness and His unfailing love for us and that He knows all about us and where we are and what circumstance we are in and that in that place His love for us is unyielding and unchanging and unalterable. His love and grace and mercy for us. And as David writes at the end of Psalm chapter 13, look on me. This is the end of the psalm that we began with this morning, which was how long, O Lord. He says, the Lord, uh, David says to the Lord, look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for He has been good to me. He has been good to me. Mm. I don't know, Liz, if you can find the um, words for the song, um, I cry out for your hand of mercy. It's Lord, you have been good. Uh, Lord, you are good. Um, good to me. Uh, I don't know what the title of that song is. We're going to go ahead and just going to sing it a cappella right now. And then worship team, you can come on up if you would. I just feel compelled in my spirit to sing this, though. And so... We're going to just go ahead and sing this. And I'm going to invite you to this altar this morning. To respond 
to the Lord. And maybe you are there in that waiting room as so many of us are. And in this year of restoration, as you are waiting for the unfailing love of the Lord to be expressed and manifested into your lives, I want to encourage you this morning that He is everlasting and His unfailing love, His everlasting arms are with you. That He is Creator. He knows all about your circumstance and situation. He is the mighty God who can do all things by His goodness and greatness and power. He is all-knowing. He understands everything that's going on in your circumstance. Even outside of your realm of understanding. Even in the peripheries where you can't see. He can. There is no shadow at all around it in His eyes. And there's some people this morning that He wants to lift up out of your circumstances. There are some of you that He wants to collaborate with and partner with to do the work and the will of God. And there are some of you that He will continue to give you and desires to give you the grace of patient endurance in the midst of unalterable circumstances. But He is faithful and good.